This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Jeremy Cliff, International Editor at The New Statesman, and you're listening to World Review, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Tim Parks, the novelist, translator and essayist who has lived in Italy for over 30 years and recently became an Italian citizen. His latest book is The Hero's Way, Walking with Garibaldi, From Rome to Ravenna, which I'd strongly recommend reading. And he's written for the upcoming print issue of The New Statesman on the latest in Italian politics, the new restrictions on the unvaccinated, the new checks on everyday life as the country confronts the Omicron variant of COVID-19, and the upcoming presidential election, which looks to be a nail-biter with Europe-wide ramifications. So this is your second appearance on, on World Review, and it occurred to me that when you were on last time in March 2021, we talked about a sort of new COVID restrictions in Italy, the political controversy around vaccines, and the political significance of Mario Draghi. And it occurred to me that the agenda for this conversation is precisely the same, albeit all of those topics scrambled slightly differently from last time. So I'd suggest we, we take them one at a time. You go into great interest and very interesting detail in your piece about the new and frankly remarkably draconian rules applying in Italy in terms of what you can do if you're vaccinated and not vaccinated. Can you talk us through this? Because they struck me as being quite a lot more severe than I think most of our listeners will be experiencing where they are. Indeed. Uh, in fact, there was an article in, in the newspaper Tempo, which finally pointed out that Italy is now the most severe country in the world in the way it treats non-vaccinated people. Basically, originally in August, we simply had um, the famous vaccine pass, the Green Pass, which you could also obtain for 48 hours with a simple test. And this was needed to go into quite a wide range of things, theatres, cinemas, bars, restaurants, and so on and so forth. Now, what the government's done since that really doesn't seem to have had very much effect at all. It certainly hasn't stopped infections, which are at about 200,000 a day at the moment. And indeed, it, it has only increased the number of non-vaccinated people who got themselves vaccinated by apparently 2%, which is a pretty unhappy result. So now they've eliminated the possibility of getting the green pass with a simple test for all kinds of activities. You have to be vaccinated. 
And you have to have your booster inside a something like six months, and that's going to come into force at the end of January. So in order, for example, to go into a bank, to go into the post office, to go into a shopping center, to go, obviously, theaters, cinemas, the stadium, etc., you have to be fully vaccinated. And if you had your two vaccines six months ago, you have to have the booster jab. Otherwise, you cannot go into those things. Most of all, unvaccinated people are being excluded from the workplace. And finally, there is now uh, a straight vaccine obligation for the over 50s. So they have to be vaccinated or have a first vaccination by the end of January. Otherwise, they face economic sanctions. So the situation is really quite extraordinary, especially because these new rules which have come into force obviously aren't going to have very much effect at all in, in the coming months because it takes a little while to get all those people vaccinated, assuming they do go to get vaccinated. Mm. And by that point, presumably, this wave of, of um, Omicron will be well over. I was also struck by the detail about mask wearing being obligatory outdoors as well as indoors. Yeah, again, this is somewhat extraordinary and never discussed. I see absolutely no discussion in the Italian papers. We, since the end of December, we have had to wear masks in the open, absolutely everywhere. My daughter, skiing yesterday in the Dolomites, she lives in Verona, told me that they had to wear their masks on while they were skiing, which is quite extraordinary. One can't help feeling, yeah, that there's a kind of, that it's a kind of sign of simply of signing up of conformity to the whole government position and the whole anxiety about COVID. But what is really most extraordinary to me is the lightness with which the government has caused this incredibly intense division between the vaccinated and the non-vaccinated, where the non-vaccinated are not seen as people who simply don't want to, to get the vaccine for some reason, but as a, a sort of aggressive, destructive, semi-terrorist organization who are destroying the country. And it's this exacerbation of that division which has been quite remarkable. And of, of course, the interesting thing about the exclusion from work, for example, is that a person with a permanent work contract is only suspended from work. You cannot actually break that permanent contract. But so many people in Italy are on temporary work contracts. They have a contract for six months or for a year. And these people are simply being fired and will not be taken in again. Many of my friends at the university have told me that one cannot speak out against the obligation for the Green Pass at the university without feeling that their careers are somehow going to be compromised by doing so. So it's, it's a very tense and unhappy situation. And I don't know how much it's actually been worth in terms of lives saved. It does seem that part of it is a sort of public health theatre, so that the external demonstration that one is taking the virus seriously by, for example, wearing one's mask on a dolomite ski piste, which I imagine does not necessarily contribute a great deal to reducing viral transmission, but I suppose that's one for the epidemiologists. On that point, though, about the, the politics of this, how robust is the broad consensus in favour of these measures? And how much would you tie the fact that these 
requirements have been driven through to the fact that Italy has uh, a, a relatively popular and respected prime minister in Mario Draghi. What role has he played in orchestrating this? I think Draghi wants to be seen to be very firm and very decisive. But even before Draghi, Italy had uh, very draconian rules. I think the people, I would say the middle class in general, are very much behind it. They read newspapers which are very much behind it. They listen to TV stations and news stations which are very much organs of, of government opinion to a very large degree. But in Italy, it is extremely difficult to know what real consensus is because people are very careful to say the thing that they think is the right thing to say at this moment. But there may be a lot less agreement than actually appears so that when there is a change in Italy, it, it is usually very radical and very fast because people are finally released from the need to keep saying something that maybe they don't entirely agree with. Yeah, that brings us on to, to Draghi's role. And when we, we spoke last March, he had just become prime minister at the helm of a sort of national unity government to see in the reforms that were the conditions of the 200 billion euros or so of support that Italy was being given by the European Union. And he came to this, as we discussed at the time, as a quite respected, both in Italy and across Europe, former president of the European Central Bank. But it was it seemed quite clear that he wouldn't be hanging around in the job for too long, certainly not beyond the next election due next year. So where are we now? Because there seems to be this tantalising possibility that he will um, be elected president in the upcoming presidential election. Could you just talk us through what the role of president entails in the Italian system, how that election works, and, and why Draghi, not one year into his prime ministership, is being touted as a possible candidate? The president in Italy uh, may seem to have a very ceremonial role or a representative role. He's the head of state, but he's not an executive president, as in France or, or the USA. <laughs> more like a, a British monarch, we might say, but with more powers. He can, he chooses the prime minister and the ministers officially, and he can reject legislation and he can advise the government. It's a role that can be very minor and unintrusive when things are going smoothly, but can also be extremely uh, important and decisive when there's a crisis of government. And since we have a system of elections in Italy, which means that we almost always have very complicated hung parliaments with loose coalitions, and since we have a system that though the members of parliament will get a permanent pension, all of them, if they manage to stay in their position for five years, so that it's very unlikely that they will trigger an early election. We have a situation where a president can become extremely important because you have a parliament like the present parliament, which really has no majority of opinion on any kind of side, and you parachute in a prime minister like like Draghi, who is immensely respected, and parties which usually never talk to each other are all in the government because of Draghi. So if Draghi gets moved upstairs, as it were, to become president, the question is what happens to the government for the last year up until 2023. Interesting. And why would he be moved into that job other than that he commands this respect? Is the idea that 
he is most he can most serve Italy by holding that role for what is it the seven years of, of the tenure rather than serving out the rest of his time as prime minister. Yeah, this is an interesting question, isn't it? I would say that the problem is, if it's not Draghi, who is it going to be? They want a person there who's highly respected. They want a person there who, in particular, has excellent contacts in Europe. And Draghi has that. He has a close relationship with Macron. And he knows the whole European score, which, of course, is now hugely important to the government of Italy. So if it's not Draghi, who is it going to be? In an extraordinary turn of events, the aging Berlusconi, who's now 85, Draghi, by the way, is 74, Berlusconi has thrown his cap into the ring, even though officially one is not supposed to propose one's candidacy for president. You're supposed to be nominated. But he has, he has made it clear he wants to be president. Now, that would be quite extraordinary, of course, because in the past he's been convicted of corruption. We all know about his endless activity with younger women and so on, accused of having somebody to procure girls for him, including underage girls, and so on and so forth. It's quite extraordinary that he is nevertheless in a position to claim that he he can win this election. So we're all agog to know what's going to happen. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to the new Statesman on digital, in print, or both, for as little as one pound a week at newstatesman.com slash subscribe. That's just $2 a week in America. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What does the, the center-left Democratic Party want? Because they have a new leader too uh, in the form of Enrico Letta, a sort of bookish character who wants to revive the party's fortunes. Yes, Enrico Letta was brought back from Paris to take over the PD, which commands about 20% of the electorate and is supposedly the main centre-left party, although it's extremely difficult to know what its policies actually are, which is a constant accusation that nobody actually knows what the party wants. They now basically present themselves as a sort of solid, middle-class, or good-sense, pro-European party. And most of all, they would simply like Mattarella, the present president, to stay right where he is and to do another seven years, which is possible. It, it did happen once before with, with Napolitano, who's president twice. Mattarella has made it abundantly clear, he's 80 years old, that, that he wants out. And it seems to me a council of desperation to, to suggest that he's the only alternative to Draghi or, or Berlusconi. Other people are proposing that we vote for a, women, a woman as if this sort of necessity to have a first woman as president could in some way solve the problem of who's going to go there. Berlusconi has made clear that if, um, that if Draghi is elected president, and, and he isn't, of course, if Draghi is elected president, then his party will pull out of the governing coalition and cause it to collapse. So he's engaged in a very simple process of threatening instability, something, mm -hmm. something which he's done before. So the situation is really quite extraordinary. And if, and if I may, I think the most extraordinary thing is the way the main stream newspapers, particularly Corriere della Sera and Repubblica and the mainstream public media, have none of them suggested what an appalling blow it will be to Italy's reputation should they have a president with Berlusconi's track record and, and the way he's seen abroad. Draghi has been very successful in improving Italy's image abroad by presenting this immense competence, at least in financial matters. The election of Berlusconi as president would be a quite extraordinary step back, it seems to me, yet none of the papers seem willing to engage in that. In fact, amazingly, the most investigative journalist of Corriere del Sera, Gian Antonio Stella, a man who loves to find corruption around the country, published an article, an extremely bland article, in which he simply talked about Berlusconi being famous for the wonderful presents that he gives to people. <laughs> he gives people paintings and collections of old cigar cases and, and so on and so forth. And it, it does seem that at the moment Berlusconi is phoning every member who's going to be voting for president and handing out gifts in a quite extraordinary way. He would also be historically extraordinary, having emerged politically in the 1990s and then serving as president until the late 2020s. He would span, it would be four decades of Italian history. That's more than even Putin's managed in Russia so far. But on, on, on the point about the, the landscape of opinion, we've talked about the sort of the centre-right and the attempt to, to make 
push Berlusconi into that role. We talked about the centre-left wanting to keep Mattarella on. What about the, the populist far Because I think it would be remiss of us to leave them out of this conversation. Judging by the poll, polls, it's in their interests for there to be an election sooner rather than later. You look at the Brothers of Italy, the one major party not in the government coalition. You look at the Lega, Matteo Salvini. You know, they would be in quite a good position on the current numbers to lead some sort of government. Where, where do they stand in all this? Yes, we have Giorgia Meloni, the, the woman who is um, head of Fratelli d'Italia, Brothers of Italy, uh, which we remember is the opening, are the opening words of the national anthem, Fratelli d'Italia, a famous, a famous risorgimento hymn. Her position is that if Berlusconi is candidate, she, her party will vote for him. However, we remember that the votes are secret. It's not just one vote. There is a vote on January the 24th. Uh, and in that vote, a two thirds majority will be required, which is highly unlikely unless everybody decides that it will be Draghi after all. And then after three votes where a, a two-thirds majority is required, only a 50% absolute majority, 50 plus one as it were, is required. And you can go on voting as many times as you want. So whether somebody like Meloni or Salvini say we will vote for Berlusconi if he is candidate because he is part of our right-wing coalition, we don't really know if that means they really will vote for them. Or if the whole problem with Berlusconi is that he's simply so wealthy and knows so much and can, can do so much damage that, that nobody wants to speak out and say what they really think about the situation. So actually, it's almost impossible to know what somebody like Fratelli d'Italia want. They have said they would like a patriot to be president, and that they do not think Draghi is a patriot, which is an interesting thing. To parse that, what it means is they think Draghi is is primary loyalty is towards Europe rather than towards mm. Italy. I, I would parse it that way. Interesting. What do you think are the chances of this somehow triggering an early election? Because I think from a European point of view, I think there would obviously be great concern should Berlusconi become president, but even more so, should you end up with Melonia's prime minister by the end of the year. What do you rate the chances of that as? Zero. <laughs> Absolutely zero. Of course, I could be wrong, but I would say zero. First, it's clear that if Draghi doesn't get the votes required, his position as prime minister will also be severely damaged. So rather than have his hat in the ring and not win, it would be better not to have your hat in the ring. But even even if his hat is not in the ring and Berlusconi wins, nevertheless, I would say Draghi's position would be much weakened mm. by this. And there was an interesting article in Corriere della Sera today saying that should the thing go to a, a more than, say, five, six, seven, eight votes, then whatever happens, the government will be immensely weakened. However, we remember that in Italy, it is highly unlikely that a parliament will will vote for its for itself to end the president is not going to ask for a for a new election and no confidence votes are almost always won in italy quite simply because it's in the economic advantage of the members of parliament to stay in their jobs and pick up their pension after the uh, five years is completed so i would say the chances of meloni becoming prime minister before a new election are more or less impossible Interesting. I think that's an important fact about Italian politics that you bring up. Remember around 
elections in 2017 and 2019 in the UK. There are a lot of people saying, oh, we're having elections every couple of years. We're like Italy. And of course, Italy doesn't have elections unusually often. It just has changes of government unusually often. And we're on the third, aren't we, since the last time Italy voted back in 2018. So that's worth keeping in mind when amid all the speculation about early elections. The situations couldn't be more dif- different, really. The, the situation here is almost always of a very complicated parliament where it's quite hard to find a majority. I wanted to finish on a broader question, which is there's a lot of commentary that effectively amounts to, oh, if only Mario Draghi could be cloned and we could have him as prime minister and we could have him as president and we'd have in both offices held by respected international figures, respected in Europe, popular among voters, which is a nice little passing comment, but it's also rather damning, it seems to me, of the Italian political system. What does it say about Italian politics and the way Italy's run that, that it is so dependent on this one quite unusual individual and particularly his perceived and real clout in in the EU. Okay, let's take this in in two slices. First, it it's really quite embarrassing to read the comments in things like the Economist and and the FT, where they very patronisingly want to want Italy sewed up with a man who they happen to know and respect, with no regard at all to democratic process. Draghi is not a man with any party affiliation, nor does he clearly have any appetite for engagement with the public or for going out and asking for people for their votes. Nor in the past has he ever presented a strong vision of what he sees Italy being aside from his commitment to the EU. So that part of the international comment is something that many people here find um, find depressing. Is Italy genuinely reliant on Draghi? Obviously not. Italy is a country full of people with, with great talents. But there is clearly a desire on a sort of, a part of a sort of oligarch, oligarchical, middle-class, money-driven owners of major newspapers, major companies, There is clearly a desire to bypass ordinary democratic process and have a strong man at the centre of power. Now, this is a classic in the sort of Italian social dynamic. It's a society that's still very much obsessed with concepts of belonging, which abhors divisions, but is divided into sort of clan groups as much as parties. And so the dream of a figure, a Hadrone figure, who for brief periods of time is able to create total national unity is a recurrent dream in Italy. And and Draghi fits that bill. But notoriously, people who fit that bill fit it only for a short time and, and then get discarded. So I would say the shine is already coming off Draghi to a large degree. There was a lot of criticism after the, this recent turn of the screw over the Green Pass that Draghi didn't bother to have a press conference immediately after the decision and indeed only had one some three or four days later when general public protest led to his decision to actually talk to people about it. So there's a growing feeling that maybe Draghi isn't the sort of popular leader that that they really want. Everything's very fluid at the moment. It's a fascinating moment here. 
It is, and we'll be watching the next few weeks closely as that secret vote plays out, however many rounds it takes. So with that, I'd like to say a big thank you, Tim, for for joining us on World Review again. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks. It's a pleasure to talk to you. And listeners, we will put Tim's um, piece in the show notes of this podcast as soon as it's online, which will be late on Wednesday this week. I'll also put our review of his excellent book, The Hero's Way, and a couple of other pieces we've written on Italian politics in the last few months. So do look out for those. This has been World Review from The New Statesman. You can read all of our international coverage at newstatesman.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, do tell a friend, rate us, and leave a nice review. The producer has been Adrian Bradley. The team will be back on Thursday with a discussion episode. I'm Jeremy Cliff. Thank you for listening and until next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.